Welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky. On this episode, Clint Clifton sits down with Randy Newman to discuss evangelism and your church plant. I've asked Clint to step into the studio with me and help introduce Randy and help you hear what you need to get out of this episode. Clint, what are you hoping that church planters will hear as they're listening to Randy talk? Well, let me just say, first of all, that Randy's the most helpful guy on the subject of evangelism. I've always struggled with evangelism because you've got these, you know, two extreme paradigms. One is the you used car salesman kind of approach. It's just uh, right. memorize something and repeat it to everybody that you see. And I've never been quite comfortable with that. Um, and then the other side is this highly relational side that uh, Randy talked yep. about a little bit where you, you never get to sharing the gospel with people. And so it feels like those are the two paradigms that are held up as the way to go. And so Randy has found a way to, to talk in the middle of that you know and in nothing that i've ever learned in evangelism or, or memorized in evangelism has been as helpful as just the few times that i've had a chance to talk to him or read his books or or that sort of thing so let me just say first off uh, all through my church planting journey he was a go-to resource for that and as a person who doesn't necessarily think of myself as gifted as an evangelist uh somebody asked to kind of work at evangelist uh, evangelism um, he's been the most practically helpful to me. So, so how, what I hope church planners hear, I hope you hear that questioning evangelism is a fantastic book for you to be, uh, consuming if you're a church planner and you can't ignore evangelism. I mean, it's just something that you're going, there's no such thing as a, an effective church planner who's not an evangelist. So you have to, you have to become good at sharing the gospel. Man, that's great. What have you found in your own church planting uh, process and the training? You've been around a lot of training. You've been trained a lot of guys to plant churches. Um, what have you found is the most useful tools mm-hmm. in helping church planters mm-hmm. train their people mm-hmm. to plant, uh, to, to do evangelism? Yeah. <clears throat> so the tools, I think the way I would say it is the tools aren't that helpful because the tools are all memorization. Um, there's no such thing that I've never encountered a tool that's not, you know, based on some sort of acrostic or your hand or some image or, um, the one that, uh, that comes to mind all the time is I used to work with these guys who used, uh, uh, the wall and the bridge. They were collegiate church planners and they Mm -hmm. would, you know, use their hands to make a wall and the bridge is the cross and sins on one side and God's on the other and, or we're on one side and God's on the other separation. And although that's, that's a helpful image and it's always you always carry it with you it it's still you know there's something about walking by somebody and seeing them giving the wall and the bridge to somebody that's just like man that's just a, a memorized thing and i don't talk about anything else that i care about in my life in a memorized way right. so um so i just i don't want to i don't want to teach people to do that by rote i really want people to feel equipped and but the equipping piece is hard too because there's like so much that somebody could ask it's like a study in apologetics and so randy's thing about using questions to draw out um what's going on inside somebody's heart and and to illuminate um, what's going on in their in their belief system uh, i think is brilliant because it allows you to get in a a non-argumentative way uh, get into a conversation about spiritual things and um so so in terms of tools, I think 
if, if you can view questioning evangelism or just the concept of using questions to begin evangelistic conversations in the same way that Jesus did, I think that concept is what is, is what is really golden um, about that. And I would also say too, when I train uh, church planting teams in evangelism, I, I don't really train them in evangelism, but we do memorize scriptures that are, are um, significant in evangelistic conversations. So key passages that relate to um, evangelistic, you know, uh, conversations. Good, man. That's, uh, yeah, really good stuff. Well, uh, we will link to the book. We'll share these yeah. resources out. Highly commend them. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything right. else you want to add? Well, the only thing that comes to mind is we touched on in the interview, um, Randy's book, Bringing the Gospel Home. Uh, w- the book is really about sharing the gospel with family members. And in um, <clears throat> each of us, uh, have this sort of corporate responsibility to equip people in evangelism in our churches, but most of us have family members who aren't walking with Jesus. And I found that book thinking about particular family members that I have that I'm burned for. That book was really helpful to me um, and has moved the ball down the field in some of those relationships mm-hmm. with my family members. So I would commend that to you too, also. Excellent. Thanks so much, Clint. Let's jump right into this interview with Randy Newman. Well, Randy, hi. Thank you for being here with me today. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks. So you have done um, a lot of work in your ministry over the years on on the subject of personal evangelism. What first prompted you to begin thinking and um, building a ministry around personal evangelism? Hmm. Well, the first word that comes to my mind is uh, uh, failure, and then the second word is frustration. Uh, I was with Campus Crusade for many years, and... All of the methods about evangelism that I learned didn't work on the campuses where I was uh, assigned. So I had to figure out different ways to connect with people. We wanted to reach out to people, but uh, I was up at Towson State in Baltimore, and Baltimore is very different than Auburn and most of the Midwest. And so there were just a whole lot of methodologies that that didn't work where we were. Now, the gospel message was true, and I still wanted to get it out. So we just had to experiment and try different things. And we started seeing the whole use of questions and conversation uh, being far more fruitful and far more effective. So um, we've, in my ministry, we've used questioning evangelism for... uh, for training and equipping people. And there seems to be this spectrum in my um, understanding and me trying to teach people in my church about evangelism and, and mobilize people to evangelize. There's this spectrum in evangelism training where on one side of that spectrum is this high really, highly relational approach that essentially says, you know, spend a lot of time with people doing normal things, not spiritual things, and... Um, make friends with them, build trust with them, and then at the right time that you judge to be the right time, begin talking about the gospel. And then on the far other end of that spectrum is the, you know, what comes across to me like a used car salesman approach, which is a memorized set of superlatives, (laughs) you know, they're about why... Jesus and following him is is a good choice for you, you know? hmm, hmm. and um, those two extremes have always felt to me as a pastor not comfortable. Like I don't I don't want to teach people 
that they have to be in a relationship for a long time to share the gospel. Yet, I don't want to teach people to memorize anything mm. other than the scripture when they're when they're sharing. So, your your teaching has in in my mind is uh, falls in the middle of those two things. Why why is that? And do you did the way I describe things is that seem roughly accurate to you? Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about the spectrum. I think you're right. I mean, so on one hand, it's there's really no relationship at all, and it's just proclaiming the message right from the start. Right. And the other side, it's relationship, 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 and maybe eventually someday sort of we'll get around to weaving the gospel in. And so I am somewhere in between. I guess I'm slightly on the side of the relational side right. of that. But um, one of the things I think we need to get away from is is this whole idea of trying to find a place where we're comfortable. I don't think evangelism is ever comfortable. It, is, it isn't for me, and I just don't think it is for the vast majority of Christians. So the, the goal is not comfort. The goal is proclaiming the gospel. We do want to have it woven into a relationship. But, you know, um, we can establish a place where it's valid to proclaim the gospel a lot sooner than we typically think. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, what I'm thinking of is in Colossians 4 about the whole idea of let your conversation be uh, full of grace seasoned with salt. So there's the, I want it to be gracious. I want it to work in to, oh, this person knows that I care about them or would like to get to know them better. But our, our message does have salt to it, and, and the gospel message does have bad news in it before it gets to good news uh, or certainly connected. So um, I think we need to get away from the idea of what what am I comfortable with or or when will it seem right? Uh, I, th- I think for a whole lot of people, it never seems right. right. So we, we need to bring it up and take, take the initiative and ask God to, to use the power of the truth to work in. Um, so I, I don't know if that's, that's you know. Exactly, um, exactly right. Well, I'm thinking primarily in my work each day about helping church planters. The guys are going out into communities, and they're essentially, when I uh, talk to a, a new church planter, I'm describing their job to them as 90% missionary, 10% pastor hmm. in the beginning. And then as time goes on and a congregation forms, um, you become more of a pastor, but hopefully you're always, you know, something like at least 25% missionary. You've hmm. got an impulse um, to the to your regular rhythms that is that is gospel sharing and relating to lost to lost. <clears throat> but this the issue of becoming uh, proficient or effective at personal evangelism is probably, in my view, the biggest challenge that church planters face. Um, they it's very common for us to interview church planters and for us to begin to ask questions about evangelism, basic questions like, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Or um, tell me about a time where you've been um, effective at um, leading somebody to Christ. And essentially that's met with resistance. Like, you know, that's the Holy Spirit's work. Why are you, why are you evaluating me and my merit based on that? <clears throat> and, you know, so anyway, when I'm thinking about church planners, that is just that's just like this big elephant in the room that, mm. that they're just not sharing the gospel very much. The ones who are sharing the gospel a lot are doing it in a very car salesman kind of way. Mm. 
and then uh, very few people are seeing much fruit at all in evangelism. So is there anything that you can think to, to say to the particularly the missionary or church planter or a campus minister like you uh, were about um, that those rhythms of engagement and, and fruitfulness? Hmm. Well, I, I, I like I like your idea of when they start out, it's probably 90 percent missionary, 10 percent uh, pastor. Um, but maybe the the more they could think of that those two things are not so separate or not they're not watertight compartments. The role of a missionary must include some pastoral ministering to people. The role of pastor must include evangelism. Um, maybe what's helpful is to think, um, you know, a lot of people talk about we need to uh, preach the gospel to ourselves. Right. Or another way of looking at it, uh, the gospel is for believers and non-believers. Right. So it's not so much we're trying to have two different messages. Now, we have one gospel message with a million implications, how it affects relationship, how it affects money, how it affects career. I mean, so, and those implications are true for believers and non-believers. So what we want is we want church planters and pastors to think of this gospel message in all of its richness and then seeing how it touches so many different aspects of people's lives. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with the different words Scripture uses about the gospel message. I mean, we at, at its center, and for sure, it must be um, uh, justification, penal substitution, propitiation. Yes, absolutely. And we better not ever, ever compromise that. But isn't it interesting that we also have words like redemption and reconciliation and adoption and salvation? It goes on and on and on. Um, all of these words talk about different facets, maybe that's the way to think of it, of the gospel gem. And so I think the more church planters and pastors can think about just how full and rich this message is, oh, it's going to connect with this non-Christian so that it can show this non-Christian how they can get set free from shame or guilt or purposelessness or life seems absurd and meaningless. That's that's a different approach to evangelism than the person who's racked with guilt or the person who feels um, terrible shame or the person who feels way too much confidence in themselves, the opposite end of the shame. The gospel is good news for, for all of those people. So are you saying, I think intuitively what you're saying is that the evangelist has to have his sensitivities heightened about what sorts of struggles, concerns, difficulties the person they're trying to evangelize might have, and the gospel message is shaped toward that? Yeah, I think so. And and, and again, the, the examples are, there's so many examples in the gospels and the book of Acts. So you think of uh, Jesus began a gospel conversation with Nicodemus, yeah. And also the woman at the well, the very next chapter. But boy, they're very different starting places and very different aspects of the gospel that were emphasized. So with one guy, it's a pretty blunt, you must be born again. You, Nicodemus, you religious, righteous, upstanding, probably pretty moral guy, 
you need a new beginning. You need regeneration. To the woman with lots and lots of sin in her life and she's showing up at a time when she doesn't want to be seen by people, it's, let me tell you about a kind of water that if you drank this water, you'd never be thirsty again. Those are two very different starting points, but they are, they are leading to a gospel message. You think of Paul in a, a Jewish synagogue in Acts 13. He doesn't argue for the existence of God. He assumes they're already with him on that. So he just begins with, look at how God worked in the history of Israel. Look at how that points to Jesus as the Messiah. On Mars Hill, Acts 17, spends a lot of time, how, how do we know anything? Yeah. Which fits very nicely with our postmodern world today. Yeah. Um, can I take another minute? I mean, sure, uh, so, right, yeah. so I'm, I'm even just as much intrigued with in between those two not extremes, but two very different worlds, right. okay? you got a Jewish synagogue. They believe the scriptures. They believe God has spoken. Acts 17, Mars Hill, Athens, how do we know anything? Acts 14 in the middle to some pagans who were worshiping Paul and Barnabas. Yeah. Um, Paul says to them, look at the good stuff you have in your life, like food and crops and joy in your hearts. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that comes from? That's a, that's a completely different approach than either of the other two. So what we want is this, this appreciation for how great this gospel message is so that it can connect with the Nicodemuses, the woman at the well, the people in the synagogue, the religious people, the people who are kind of crazy. They're religious, but in a very different way than the Jewish people in the synagogue. And again, it's it's digging into the scriptures and saying how, why is this example of evangelism in the scriptures, and why is it so very different than that example, and to reflect on how the different methods connect with different people. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I've always been intrigued with how how Jesus so so inconsistent in his uh, his methods because we really. I mean, I'm a guy who really likes boxes. You know, like like explain something to me how to do it and I'll go do it and uh, Jesus is almost it's almost like infuriating to read his different um, <laughs> different okay he said that not me right <laughs> I mean he's Jesus is infuriating did you catch that yeah. I don't I, the, I, the I, one that always comes to mind is um, when I'm thinking about this is um, you know literally what better setup for evangelism could you get than what must I do to gain eternal life oh yes <laughs> And he blew it, didn't he? he? Totally blew it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So why do you call me good? Yeah. Right, like, right. And then he makes it worse. There's no one's good except God alone. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I've sometimes said, so, do you think he's trying to chase the guy away? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. It's, 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 it's fascinating to listen to. But I think the thing we can take away from that is in a complicated world with people having many different points of view, uh, a three-dimensional gospel is needed, not hmm. a one-dimensional gospel that applies in every circumstance in the exact same way. Of course, the message of the gospel uh, doesn't change, but the, the circumstances of those who we're talking to do. And so our pastoral sensitivities when we're talking to somebody, um, you know, it's fun, funny talking to, <clears throat> talk to some reform guys about, you know, about uh, how they their view of, you know, infant mortality or tough issues like that or and what happens to an infant who dies or, or a handicapped person or something like that. And they, they sometimes come across with these sort of rigid viewpoints, you know. And then, but, but you put that person in a pastoral situation where they're sitting in front of a mom who just lost her baby and all of a sudden that 
that the nuances of that are different. Their language mm. is softer. Mm. And, um, yes. That, that is, uh, so we're comfortable with the idea that our pastoral sensitivities are different in the classroom than they are in the living room. Um, mm. But Good. Uh, we're not necessarily, uh, we don't necessarily promote that idea when it comes to evangelism, I don't think, that our, we should be sensitive. Um, sensitive, but not withholding the gospel message. Yeah, there, there, there have been times when we were looking for the one tool that will work everywhere or will work in most situations. And, and I think that may have been okay in a world that used to be a lot more homogenized than things are now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, America in the 1950s was more homogenized, similar. That's just not the case anymore. And so we need to adapt to the world in which God has placed us yeah. at this point in time. Isn't it intriguing, by the way, I'm, I, 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 I've thought about this a lot lately and continue to marvel over. It, it's wonderful that we have four Gospels in the Scriptures. The Gospel according to Matthew. We don't have four Gospels, but we have the Gospel according to four different writers. Why is that? For a long time, what we did was we tried to say how, oh, okay, they don't contradict. These Gospels don't contradict. Okay, and I don't think they do. But we're still left with, so why did we get four of them? And why are they different? They are different. They're not contradictory, but they emphasize different things, and the writers chose to include certain things that the other ones didn't. And so that alone should tell us, oh, you know, we probably want to do different things with different groups of people. Again, not changing the core of the content of our message, but starting points, the things we emphasize, uh, things that we choose to include in some conversations that we don't in others. Uh, The scriptures model it for us beautifully and, and challengingly. So we want to think about how do how do we talk to we we talk we better talk to people in their twenties differently than we talk to people in their sixties. Yeah. Uh, there's just different life experiences, and on and on and on we could go. Yeah, when we were talking a little earlier today, you mentioned that um, I think the way you said it is you're sort of an evangelistic chicken. Um, <laughs> uh, tell us what you mean by that. <laughs> well. Um, for a very long time, when I was involved with uh, evangelistic ministry, all of the models that were held up to me as, as what I was aiming for were, were people who um, talked about how easy evangelism was for them and how natural and how everyday. And I, I felt terribly guilty because it didn't seem natural or everyday or e- certainly didn't seem easy. And I, I just kept thinking that someday it's going to be. Well, I just, you know, just keep doing it, keep doing it, and keep praying for the, the Holy Spirit to fill you. You know, if you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, there won't be any fear. And, and it, it just didn't seem to happen. And after about 10 years of that, I had this thought of, wait a minute, what, what if it never is easy? Um, could God use me anyway? And then I started thinking about, well, he has been using me. And, and 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 he uses he has been using me in times when I'm most uncomfortable, and 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 even fearful. Yeah. And then should have gotten to this a whole lot sooner. Um, I dug into 
1 Corinthians 2, where Paul said, When I was with you, you Corinthians, preaching the gospel, I was with you with much fear and trembling. I thought, oh, I've had the wrong idea of Paul. I I had this view of he has no fear, he has no internal angst. No, he had a lot of internal angst. I mean, in Acts 17, it says he he was deeply disturbed that their city was full of idols. He he called himself um, fear and trembling. And I thought, oh, well, okay. I that's me. Fear, fear and trembling. That's me. That, that's, that's what I want to put on the, the business card. So I have to be careful that I don't, that I'm not too critical uh, of the ones who, who claim to be fearless. I think there are some evangelists who they're fearless. They are. And, and I think that's evidence that they have the calling and, and the office of an evangelist. But, but I love the fact that we know that Timothy was timid. He was a nervous wreck. Paul told him to drink some wine for the sake of his stomach. I don't think that was just that he had an upset stomach. I think he was kind of a shaking, timid guy. And yet Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't didn't say, become an evangelist. He didn't say, oh, come on, you're an evangelist. You just don't know it. He said, no, you're timid, you're shy, but do the work of an evangelist. Because again, the power is not in our confidence. It's in God uses the most unlikely of spokespersons because his word is powerful like a two-edged sword. Yeah, and he seems to have preference, actually, for the weak, debased things of this world, you know, to glorify himself. Even. Yes, well, because w- what we want is for people to be impressed with right. God and, and his gospel, yeah. not with us. If they're impressed with us, they're probably not impressed with the gospel. Right. I mean, that... Um, you know, we've talked a bunch that I, I've done a whole lot of interviews of yeah. new believers. One of the things that was so delightful for me was they would talk about they heard this speaker who was who who said this, and, and they remembered what they said. They remembered an illustration they used, but they couldn't tell me who it was. Yeah. So I was at this conference. The guy who was up there, I can't remember his name. I don't I don't know who he was, whatever. And and they would even talk about it like. I, I could kind of piece together, and I, I know who that you was. That was an impressive, you should have been, oh, no, you don't remember who that guy's name was. That's probably great. Uh, and uh, they would read books, and they couldn't remember the, the title or the author, and I'm sitting there going, I write books, so I should remember my name. And they're like, no, they don't. <laughs> That's great. Because if they were so impressed with what a great speaker he was, oh, the, I think you missed the gospel. Well, speaking of books, uh, I, you, um, and this isn't, you know, promotion, you know, in any way, uh, although I'm sure I'll be happy for people to go and buy your books, but your <laughs> books are super helpful on the subject of evangelism, especially yeah. as a pastor who's trying to think about getting uh, my people going in evangelism. Um, I think generally speaking, you know, in the churches that I've led, people come to faith in Christ and they they grow in their faith and they desire to be effective evangelists. They just, they just paralyzed. So mm. equipping the Ephesians four eleven sort of our job of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry mm. feels most pressing in the area of evangelism for me as a pastor. 
So um, I found your books, and the, we happen to live in the same area, which is awesome, but um, found your books to be really, really helpful in our congregation. Mm. And uh, I want to highlight a couple of them specifically. Questioning Evangelism really um, is, is a book that's about using questions uh, to begin and carry through gospel conversations. Anything more you'd say about Questioning Evangelism? No, thanks for those uh, those very encouraging words. I, I tried to include a, a whole lot of sample conversations, and some people have told me that's the most helpful part of the book. So it's like, oh, I could, I could see myself saying that. Um, so uh, even I have some, some of the transitional, um, the the conversation transition language that you use in, in those conversational examples, I've, I've found myself mimicking some of those hmm. in, my, in conversations that I have. So really, really helpful. Um, uh, also specifically notable, I think, is um, you have a, a, another book that's uh, called Corner Conversations, mm-hmm. and it's related to questioning evangelism. And, um, and uh, so what's the focus of Corner Conversations? Well, um, since people told me those sample dialogues were so helpful, I just tried to expand them. Um, uh, that that hasn't been as helpful as I thought it would be. Uh, so um, that one's um, okay. It's a little dated now. No, I mean I I'm sorry. I don't I don't I don't, I don't actually don't recommend that one too much because I think it's dated. I would need to rework that a lot. Um, I, I, I do want to push, if I can, um, you know, I wrote a book specifically about witnessing to family members, uh, bringing the gospel home. That, um, uh, I really tried to address some of the unique pressures and difficulties about witnessing to family. If, if witnessing is difficult for most people, witnessing to family is off the charts. And I tried to break it down. I, I'm certainly not saying it's easy, not at all. If anything, it's Oh wait, it's it's worse than you thought. Um, but again, let me tell you some stories about the way God used people to talk to their family, their their brother, their sister, and and some of those stories are pretty extreme. Of oh, I really thought he was lost, and he was in in far worse ways than I could have imagined. That that book's called Bringing the Gospel Home. Mm-hmm. And then um, you have a new book coming out that you were just telling me about. Sounds fascinating. Can you remember the title? Sure, that? but let's not skip. Uh, I did write a book on witnessing to Jewish people. Oh, it's yeah. called Engaging with Jewish People. And it's part of a great series that I, I think your church planners and pastors should know about. There's, it's uh, published by the Good Book Company. They've got Engaging with Hindus, with Muslims, with atheists, yeah. and it's it's expanding. So... Uh, but I do have a new book uh, coming out, Lord willing, in July or August. Uh, it's going to be called uh, Unlikely Converts, uh, Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism. And it's from that research project I did actually for a dissertation of interviewing close to 50 recent converts and hearing their stories and what we learn about how God worked um, in really remarkable ways through pretty ordinary, mundane kind of conversations. Yeah. So. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, Randy, thank you very much for spending time talking to me today. And uh, again, all those books are available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold, right? Yep, indeed. All right, thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, podcaster, thanks for listening to the Church Planting Podcast. Hopefully it's been useful and helpful to you in your ministry. And if it has, we'd like you to do two things for us. First, we'd like you to subscribe. 
If you subscribe right there in your podcast application for the Church Planning Podcast, then every time a new episode is posted uh, midday on Wednesdays, that will show up in your in your podcast feed and you won't have to search for us every time you want to listen. So that's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is simply click that share button in your application and uh, post about the Church Planning Podcast, either your favorite episode or the podcast as a whole on your favorite social media platform. That would be a huge help to us and it would help other folks who are out there trying to start new churches glean from the wisdom of those who are featured on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.